Hey, Trinity, it's good to be with you again as we open God's Word together. So if you would, would you grab a Bible? Would you open up to John chapter 8? And we'll begin reading at verse 31. I'm going to read from verse 31 down to verse 47. The context of Jesus preaching here and teaching is at the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was the great feast and celebration of Israel. Remember, Israel were a party people. They had feasts all year long, and in this part of John, there are four feasts that uh, John lays out, this, the Sabbath. He then uh, talks about um, the, the other feasts um, throughout the book, and from 5 to 10, and here in chapter 8, um, he is in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. And Stephanie and Brad from the Rutman household read to you earlier from Numbers chapter 20, where you can read about the source of the Feast of Tabernacles when they were in the wilderness. So if you would, would you give your attention to God's word? John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. This week in our family, 
we received the greatest medicine for the soul for young boys. It is the thing that you most desperately need in a time when you are sheltering in place. It is the thing that we, like, we're craving to have. And kiddos, if you're listening to me right now, I want you to listen. I want you to listen for three words. The first word is Legos. The second word, phrase, is seven years in prison. And the third word is father. Legos, seven years in prison, and father. Write those down and see if you can remember where in the sermon I say those things. In our house, we were craving some medicine for our young souls. And it came to us. It came to us in the form of a package, a package from their grandparents. And there it was. We opened up the package. We ripped it open. We needed this great medicine for our soul. And there it lies before us, glowing out of the Amazon box, a fresh set of Legos. <laughs> yes, you know the Legos. You know, you know these, these, these pieces that many a mom and dad have stubbed their toe on in the middle of the night. And you also know, if you have young children with Lego sets, that you know that there is, in all the pieces of the Legos, there is one very crucial piece that you need. If the thing is going to happen, you need one very crucial piece. What's that piece? The instruction booklet. If you have an instruction booklet, if you have the way that you can put things together piece by piece by piece by piece, you can sit back in awe. And you can watch even a four-year-old put together a Lego masterpiece if you have the instruction booklet. And I don't know about you, but I found myself this week trying to put the pieces of my life together, trying to ask very practical questions in the midst of our shelter-in-place ordinance, in the midst of the social distancing. And the questions have been very practical alike. How are Lauren and I going to orchestrate our schedules when both of us work? What are we going to do about the kids' school? How are we going to connect with family and friends through all these online platforms? What are we going to do when the coronavirus comes closer to our own house? How do we manage? And we have all these pieces of our house, of our lives, of our time laid out before us, except in our box, there is no instruction book. We don't have that crucial piece that our children use to put Legos together. And so here we are with a bunch of pieces of our life sitting out, and we have no instructions. I mean, you know what this is like, don't you? Some of you who work at hospitals are writing policies this week for how they're going to handle the influx of patients. Some of you who work for corporations, you know you've been writing procedures all week to try to help get things lined up in the midst of all these changes. Families are calling audibles. We, we have the pieces of our life laid out, and we sit at the kitchen table, and we think, how do we begin to put all of these pieces together? It's not like we can take this Lego set back to the store it's not like we can take this Lego set and send it back to Amazon and ask for a new one off the shelf. It's not like we would even want to because the Lord has given us this place, this moment in our life because he wants us together, me, my family, you, yours. He wants us to lean into him. This moment is for us. 
and there is no instruction booklet. And the good news of God's word is that John's gospel shows us the first step in putting our pieces back together. John's gospel was written from the perspective of Jesus' best friend, the Apostle John. It's written from a 30,000-foot view. It was written to give us an overarching view of the motivations and the purposes of Jesus. Some of you may know that in the history of the church, Mark has often, Matthew rather, has often been portrayed as a man. Mark has been portrayed as a lion. Luke has been portrayed as an ox. And John, the Gospel of John, has been portrayed as an eagle because it was believed that the eagle was the only bird that could soar and look directly into the sun. And you often see this on stained glass throughout churches. You see various aspects of Matthew the man, and of Mark the lion, and of Luke the ox, and of John the eagle. Okay, John, so help us out. Where do we begin? Where do we start from? How do we put our pieces back together? And the word that Jesus gives us to teach us how to begin is right here in verse 31. Lower your eyes and see it. It is the word abide, meno in Greek. Right now, you are sheltering in place. You are in your residence. You are in safe harbor in your home. This is the place where you're abiding. Where are you abiding spiritually? Where is the shelter in place, the safe place for your soul? Jesus' best friend gives us the words of Jesus, and Jesus says, you are to abide where? In my truth. In my word. And when you abide in my word, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Where does your soul shelter in place this morning amidst all the changes that we're going through? Where is it that you find safe haven? Honest questions that I want us to ask and answer together this morning. That's the question that God lays before us in this text. Where are you abiding? Let's answer that question together. Look at verse 31. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This truth is a famous motto of many libraries across the nation. There are libraries, even, even the library of the University of Texas. There is a picture, or there is, a, there is a, 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 the, the phrase, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. There it is, right there in Austin. Above the door of the library, it tells us the truth. But is, does, is this really what Jesus means by this passage? No, even in the original headquarters of the CIA, it says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But those phrases are taken completely out of context. Jesus is not talking about mere knowledge or philosophy. Jesus is talking about a truth that's much deeper. Where do you reside spiritually? That truth will set you free. The word truth is a slippery word for us these days. We are modern men and women. And for the last several hundred years, with the rise of technology and the move of the Enlightenment into our life, truth has ceased to become something objective outside of ourselves to becoming something very internalized and subjective, we think. And so sociologists like uh, Peter Berger and others have shown us 
through the literature that we now believe that truth is truth for me. And that is why oftentimes in conversations, your truth is just discarded. Oh, that's, that's just truth for you. But that's not truth for me. But truth, friends, the first aspect of anything that's true means that it must have correspondence. It must have correspondence, not to what you think it needs to be attached to, but it must have correspondence to what is real. What is true reality? There was a, uh, there's a book written in the 80s. It's a very um, uh, interesting read. It's called Life and Death in Shanghai, written by a Chinese woman named Nian Cheng, C-H-E-N-G. And the story of Nian Cheng is the story of how she uh, ro- uh, grew up as the daughter of a, a vice admiral in the Chinese Navy. She, she grew up in China. She went off to the London School of Economics where she got her advanced degrees. And there she met her husband, who was Chinese, but he was a British citizen. And um, in 1949, when Mao Zedong uh, and the Communist Party took over China, the only oil company to stay in communist China was Shell Oil Company. And Nian Chang's husband was the general manager of the Shell Oil Company in, um, in Shanghai. And um, when he died in 1957, the Shell Oil Company hired Nian Chang as a consultant. And she stayed on as a consultant. And one day in 1966, the Red Guards burst through her door, ransacked her house, and they, they took her prisoner, they took her captive, and they put her in the number one apartment of the Chinese government, and there she remained for almost seven years, imprisoned for almost seven years. And the only thing that she needed to do in order to be released, the only thing that she needed to say, and she knew this, was to say that the Shell Oil Company was unpatriotic to the Chinese government. That's all she needed to say, and she'd be freed like that. She didn't say it. And for nearly seven years in prison, she refused to say what she knew was not true. That's what correspondence means. It means that even when you're under the most fierce, tyrannical regime in history, you can know what is true, what corresponds to the reality, and you will stick to it. She was imprisoned for more than seven years under the most fierce regime, perhaps in history, and yet she in that apartment was free. Because not only does truth correspond to reality, but there's another aspect of truth that's important to get. It doesn't just have correspondence, but truth must also have trustworthiness. And the aspect of trustworthiness is in the one who brings the message. Truth isn't just a proposition delivered as a detached assessment of reality. Truth is reliable. You can base your life on it. It is worthy of a personal commitment. And the teaching that we hold to are not just mere facts as Christians. The teachings that we hold to are not just objective reality. That's the correspondence. It's not if we just adhere to the the law and life of Jesus and it produces good intellectual insights that liberate us. 
No, the truth is far deeper because it is a truth based upon a reliability of the person of Jesus himself. And in the context of John chapter 8, this is what the Jews who professed with their mouth and said they believed, but they, they believed Jesus was real, but they didn't believe he was reliable. They had an intellectual assent to who he was, but they didn't place their wholehearted trust and faith in him. And all of John chapter 8 is about the reliability of Jesus Christ. We saw this last week in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And immediately that elicits a, a reflection from Jesus' own Jewish background where you must have more than one witness. And the Jews complain. They say, Jesus, how can you say that? How can you say I'm the light of the world? You can't give a testimony about yourself. And Jesus says, no, I don't give a testimony about myself by myself. My father also testifies of me. Verse 17 and 18 of chapter 8 says, The Father who sent me, but you do not know my Father. And then they ask in chapter 8, verse 19, a very crucial question. Where is your Father? He repeats it um, uh, later on. He, 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 in, in, who is who is your father? That's the first crucial question that Jesus tries to answer. And the second crucial question is found in verse 25. And who are you? And he repeats it later in verse 53. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? And Jesus says in eight, verse, eight, uh, verse 26 of chapter 8, he who sent me, my Father, is truth. Friends, these are reliability questions. These are what can I trust questions. Verse 31 says the truth will set you free. Are we free? Jesus lays out three very simple options for where our freedom can be found. And there are three options of who our Father can be. You'll notice what the Jews say immediately after Jesus says, abide in my word and the truth shall make you free. What do they say? They say, number one, our Father is Abraham. Later on, you find that you can have Abraham as your father or you can have the devil as your father or you can have God as your father. Those are the three options in John chapter 8. Who is your father, Abraham, the devil, or God? In verse 31 and 32, after Jesus says, you will be free indeed, and it elicits this very strong reaction from the Jews. Notice what they say in verse 33. It says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we shall become free? For the Jews, they're... Uh, safety, their identity, their freedom was found in their national heritage. It was found in being a Jew. Because they were a Jew, they were part of the in crowd. Because they were identified by the kingdom of God nationally, they were in the in crowd. Because they were Jewish, they were okay. Because they were Jewish, they were protected from anything that might possibly happen to them. 
It's as though the, the John says to us, it's because you're American that you think you're okay. It's because you live in a time with modern medicine that you think you're safe. And Jesus says, anyone, anyone who finds that their father is somebody other, other than my father, is not free, but they are enslaved. How many times in the past week have I find myself in this strange place where my confidences have just been withered away? The confidence that I know that I can go to the doctor when I need to. Right now, I don't have that confidence because I know that they need those beds for people who have COVID. The confidence that, well, for some of us who are near retirement, the confidence that our retirement fund will be able to help us. Well, with the way the market is going, we've lost confidence in that too. What is it in these days that you have claimed to be your father? Friends, just because we are American doesn't mean we are immune, as we now know from the coronavirus. In fact, the virus is no respecter of persons, and neither is sin. Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, you are free not because of the things that you have, because you are enslaved. What does Jesus say? Because you're enslaved to sin. Jesus goes from the outside to the inside. His assessment of us is far deeper, far more eternal. The issue for Jesus was not ultimately an issue of national authority like the Jews thought. It was not an issue of where do you live. It's not an issue of who you know. Jesus says, your issue is that you placed your faith in the wrong father. For the Jews, they said that their father was Abraham, their national identity. And modern man knows no real objective truth. There's no ultimate right or wrong. There's, there's no view of sin for us. There's no, there's no way to judge what is right and what is wrong. Sin has become a, a, a bygone word. Nobody likes to use it anymore because as modern men and women in our culture, we've defined it away. And Jesus says in verse 43, why is my language not clear to you? He's trying to just be as plain as possible. Why do you not get what I'm trying to say to you? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want what he wants. And he speaks his native language because he is the liar and a father of lies. It is ultimately the work of the devil of hell to tell, the, tell us that there is no objective truth. And for some strange reason, by the providence of God, this virus has broken through and it's helped all of us reassess the way we understand truth. Because all of us are vulnerable to it, aren't we? And that vulnerability erodes our confidences in those things, in that father that we have so long placed our trust in. If we believe in there, there, there is no absolute truth, if we have no basis upon which to judge our lives, no basis upon which to judge our thoughts, no category of sin, and if we believe that, even as we profess faith in religion, or you may even profess faith in Jesus or in Christianity, but if you believe that ultimately there is no truth and there is no sin, then please make no mistake about who your father is. Having neither Abraham as your father nor the devil as my father solves the truth issue. 
For either the truth is narrowly provincialized. I am a good American. This shouldn't happen to me. I'm a good Jew, as they said. And I'm on the true path. Or the question of truth is non-existent, as in the case of the devil as your father. You don't even ask these ultimate questions. Abraham, National Allegiance, gives us a false illusion of comfort, but it does not deal with the sin issue of our heart. And the devil, well, he denies the question altogether and just simply wants to distract us through these days. Both are unreliable. They are unmerciful fathers. And they will abuse you. And they will both leave you for dead. If you trust either in your performance, in your national identity, in whatever other identity you want, your economic power, anything else other than God as your father, you will find yourself to be enslaved. And if you trust in your own merit, your own comfort, your own wisdom, your own ability to solve the problem, your own ingenuity, you too will find yourself tied in knots, enslaved, because the problem is not external. The problem is internal. The problem, Jesus says, is our sin. And only God as our Father frees us from slavery. It's only God as my Father who makes us, as John 8 says, a son and not a slave. The problem with being a slave is that there's no permanent place in our family. Some of you have very, very close friends. Some of you may even have had people who worked for you or for your company, who you said that these people are practically family. And the key word is practically. <laughs> because in reality, they are not your family. There is no permanent place in your home for them. But to be a son, well, to be a son means you have a permanent place in the Father's house. And that's what Jesus says is true of us. And how does the Son set us free from the tyranny of sin? Well, it's found back up in chapter 8 in verse 28. It says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And what does lifted up refer to? It refers to the cross. Where there the correspondence of truth and the trustworthiness of truth come together as Jesus obeys the will of his Father and voluntarily goes to the cross for you and for me to free us from our ultimate captors of sin and of death. Jesus who speaks to you about the truth is truth indeed. Do you believe that? Friends, in this time, we are all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to readjust our schedules. We all have Lego pieces scattered across our proverbial kitchen table and no instruction book. The first step in putting these pieces back together is to abide. Is to abide in the presence of your Father who loves you. Who is your Father? Would you look to the cross and would you see that Jesus Christ is your true elder brother? The true Son of God who is the truth, who comes to tell you about the Father who is truth? And would you allow the truth of his word, abide, verse 31, abide in my word, to be the first step to help you begin to put the pieces back together. We all know what it's like to watch our children build Lego sets without the instruction book. 
we all stand in amazement of how they can use their minds and they can put together these amazing creations. There's no illustration on the box. There's no instruction booklet. But they, be- they make these amazing masterpieces. And why are they able to be so creative? Why are they able to build from scratch with no instruction book? It's because they dwell as children in your house. They shelter in place under your roof because you're a good parent and you provide safe haven for them. And in the same way, our father, who is a good parent, provides safe haven for us. He made no mistake when he allowed the rulers of our city to put a shelter in place ordinance. The the virus, no doubt about it, is a result of the fall, and it is an evil. But the Lord himself is sovereignly in control of all things. And here we are, sheltering in place, spiritually speaking, in the house of our Father, resting our souls before him, quiet, with the privilege of being able to work together as his body, as the church, to put the pieces of our life back together, to be able to build beautiful masterpieces for his glory. Can we do that together this week? Can we rest our souls, abide in him? And as we remain in our homes, can you think about the verse in John 8, 31? Abide in my word. Do you rest in the loving care of your father in heaven who loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you? Will you allow the rhythm of your time at your house to remind you of how you, in your father's loving embrace and under the care of his watchful eye and love, allows you to be creative in new ways, allows you to rest and build beautiful masterpieces with the pieces of our life in honor and glory to him. Let's do that together. Would you reach out for your neighbor, look out for them, check on them, call them? Would you honor your father and mother, the fifth commandment, by keeping a distance from them so that we protect the most vulnerable among us? And would you, as you continue to lead your families, would you abide in his word? For he is our loving father. And you cannot have God as your father if you do not have Jesus Christ as your savior. And if you have Christ as your savior, then friends, whatever happens, whatever happens in our life and in our time and in this amazing moment in history, you will be free, free indeed.